This all feels really good to me, Ray. Hey, once business picks up, I think we're gonna be real comfortable here. Yeah, me too. So old Ben finally went and sold the place. You usually run hotels? No, I'm an electrician. I just wanted to try something different. That's her, isn't it? She was our first guest. Well, the boys over at the gas station said you peeled out of your parking lot pretty fast. Everybody knows everybody around here, except you. Did you do it? Did, did I do what? Did you do it? You were with that girl the night she died. I saw you at my place. You like to watch that end? Did you see anybody? Or why would I watch your place? You tell me. This is a crime. We could lose the motel. Did you do it? Did I do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? What did you see? Did you see something, Ray? Welcome to The Complete Works, an in-depth look into the career and filmography of Nicolas Cage. My name is Mike Smith. Joining me on this journey into the depths of true cagedom is my friend, co-host, and fellow cageaholic, Mike Tricio. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you, Mike? I'm great. You know, we're uh, we're deep in 2018 now. We're two movies into 2018 uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> for the Nicolas Cage. Yes, but uh, of course, as we mentioned in the last episode... 2018 is one year before 2019. We're almost very close to the end of this podcast, uh, which is... <laughs> That's how it works. Which is kind of insane to think about. But uh, yeah, so 2018, kind of, we, we've been building it up as like the Nicolas Cage renaissance, like a lot of great movies came out, and really it's like Mandy and a couple of other things, but <laughs> <laughs> but there is other stuff on the horizon that we're pretty excited about. But uh, Nicolas Cage made eight movies in 2018, which is an insane amount of movies. And uh, today we're going to talk about one of them. That's... <laughs> We are. That is how it works. And for, for a note to our listeners, we're daytime podcasting. Yes. Usually we are recording at night. Uh, this time around, uh, due to scheduling conflicts, we were able to kind of work it around in the daytime. So It's so weird to be doing this. You're, you're drinking coffee. It's very odd. I know. It, I almost feel like a real podcast person. Right? Because <laughs> we're not like almost. burnt out after like a very long day of work and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, all right, so let's talk about the movie, Mike. Let's get into it. You know, every once in a while, you're going to see a movie that comes out that uh, is supposedly an original story, but actually has a loose basis in something that happened in real life. Uh, I think a good example of that is a 2011's 30 Minutes or Less, uh, the comedy about a pizza delivery guy who gets kidnapped and gets a bomb strapped to his stomach that will explode unless he robs a bank. Uh, there was a very <laughs> similar story uh, that, of that actually happening a few years earlier. And while the filmmakers of that movie denied any real connection to that event, it's sort of hard to believe that nobody making the movie had ever heard of, of that event, right. considering how similar it was. 
Uh, and that brings us to the movie we're talking about today, uh, 2018's Looking Glass, uh, which bears a striking similarity to the story of Gerald Foos. Uh, Gerald Foos was a motel owner, and in 2016, it was revealed that he had installed grills in the ceilings of his hotel room so that he could watch people without their knowledge, uh, and had been doing so for years, mostly so he could watch them have sex. Wow. Yeah. Now, this story actually attracted the attention of some major Hollywood names. Uh, in April 2016, Steven Spielberg. Uh, yeah, didn't, didn't expect My- me to say that name, did you? What a twist. <laughs> Steven Spielberg bought the rights to uh, create a film about Gerald Foos, uh, and he was going to have Sam Mendes direct it. Sam Mendes, of course, who directed Skyfall, American Beauty, uh, Spectre. They scrapped the plans later that year when they found out that a documentary about Foos was actually already coming out, uh, which ended up being released on Netflix uh, in December of 2017. Uh, that documentary was called Voyeur, and you can watch it on Netflix right now if you choose to. Uh, and then a few months later, Looking Glass comes along, taking the basic conceit of what Gerald Foos was doing and crafting a thriller narrative around it. Uh, Nicolas Cage is the star of the movie, and that's why we're talking about it on this Nicolas Cage <laughs> oh. podcast. Uh, he stars as Ray, the new owner of the motel, who recently suffered a family tragedy. Uh, his wife, Maggie, joins him, and she's played by Robin Tunney, best known for her TV roles on The Mentalist and Prison Break, uh, who I know for her role in the awesome 1995 movie Empire Records. Uh, where she plays like the wow. rebellious girl in that movie. There's one. My favorite line in the movie is actually directed towards her, where she um, she shaves her head, uh, and Renee Zellweger comes up to her and she's like, "Oh, Sinead Rebellion, <laughs> shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior." And I <laughs> wow. and I think about that line all the time. It's great. Uh, That's a peak 1995 line. Right. Uh, now Howard, the town sheriff, who uh, keeps stopping by the hotel. He's played by Mark Lucas, uh, probably best known for his role as Riley on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, did you recognize uh, Mark Lucas, Mike, when you were watching the movie? <laughs> you know, I did recognize him just as like a character actor kind of guy, yeah. um, but I didn't realize that that's who it was. Yeah, <laughs> and Buff- he was on Buffy. Yeah, Buffy's new boyfriend after uh, she and Angel break up, and uh, he was the worst on Buffy. I hated him on the show. <laughs> Uh, frequent hotel guest Tommy is played by Ernie Lively, a uh, longtime character actor, but probably better known today as the father of Blake Lively, uh, and who actually also appeared as her father in the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants movies as well. Uh, and finally, the uh, previous hotel owner, Ben, is played by Bill Bolender, a character actor who appeared on such films as the uh, Shawshank Redemption, Dante's Peak, and had a recurring role on the TV show Jag. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned Dante's Peak, and you had like a, like a just a happy look on your face, Mike. <laughs> I just love that movie. What a good movie. We should do a, Don- we should do a volcano podcast. Just, just <laughs> volcano movies and nothing else? Yes. It'd be like ten movies long. It'd be great. I would love it. It's Dante's Peak, Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> Volcano. Volcano. Sure. <laughs> all right, so our, our first three episodes are already mapped out. That's great. Done. Uh, all right, Looking Glass was written by Jerry Rapp, who also wrote a Steven Seagal movie a few years earlier uh, called Gut Shot Straight, uh, and it, which sounds like a perfect Steven Seagal title. Uh, yes, it does. And it was directed by Tim Hunter, who has directed a few features over the years, including 1986's River's Edge with Keanu Reeves, which I have not seen, but I've heard is incredible. He uh, is more well-known as a veteran TV director. Uh, if you name any major drama series from the past, like, 30 years, uh, he was probably involved. Some of those include Twin Peaks, uh, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Deadwood, Hannibal, Riverdale, Law & Order, House, uh, the list goes on. Uh, wow. Yeah, Looking Glass was actually his first movie project since 2006, uh, when he directed a film called The Far Side of Jericho. Now, Looking Glass was released on VOD on February 16th, 2018, but if you weren't watching that, chances are you were helping the number one movie in theaters that weekend break some box office records. Uh, Mike, can you guess what movie that was, <laughs> since it was just a year ago? 
uh, that was Black Panther, probably? It was Black Panther, yeah. Got it. Yep. <laughs> of course it's Black Panther. Uh, you could also have been seeing Early Man, a stop-motion animated movie from Ardman, the studio behind Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run. Uh, now, the IMDb plot synopsis for Looking Glass reads, A couple buys a desert motel where they find that strange, mysterious events occur. And that's all that I have to say about that. That's so vague. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So, uh, Mike, we kind of went to Looking Glass being like, you know what? It's a VOD cage thriller. A lot of these are pretty bad. Some of them are pretty good. You know, some mm-hmm. of them are solid. And we're in 2018, which is a pretty good year for cage. We just came off of Mom and Dad. Uh, so, what were your overall thoughts on Looking Glass? My overall thoughts were was that uh, Looking Glass is almost really interesting for me Uh, i think it came kind of close i don't know it's got this weird uh mystery thriller thing going on at its core which i'm always a fan of in general yeah um and i thought cage is doing pretty good work here um i I just it was just missing something for me i can't quite put my finger on it it might just be that it's like a kind of slapdash feeling movie like you know there's a mystery but we don't ever quite really solve it i don't think uh and i don't know if it it is trying to solve this mystery um you know what i mean like it might not be about that it's more about the characters with capital letters (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah uh but yeah i don't know it was i was like kind of invested in it and and it just i don't know it just kind of fell apart for me a little bit it didn't quite grab me um but, like, overall, it's okay. It's fine. Like, it's certainly a movie. You know, it's not bad outright, and it's not great. So it's just kind of there. I had, yeah, I had a pretty similar thought process. I feel like this movie walks a very fine line between intriguing and boring for a very yes. long time. <laughs> uh, by the end of it, I'd say it pretty firmly crosses over into boring. But it's, int- it's intriguing enough for, like, a long enough time where I'm like, I, I kind of want to see where this goes. Uh, yeah. I think the first half actually does a pretty good job of establishing like an eerie sense of something not being quite right at this motel, uh, and you're not quite sure what direction the movie's going to go, and then it introduces the mystery of uh, who's been killing these girls at the motel, uh, mm-hmm. and it starts to go downhill because the mystery itself just is not that compelling. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think part of the reason for that is that the mystery uh, only, look, the movie only has like five characters. Two are Cage and his wife, so you know they're not the ones who did it. Um, right. You know, I mean, like, I think it could have done a twist where, like, Nicolas Cage actually was the one who killed these girls in the hotel. Oh. And that could, that could have been a really interesting direction for the movie to take, but that's not what happens. Uh, so you kind of go in and assuming it's not Cage and his wife. So that leaves three characters. One is the friendly trucker Tommy, who disappears halfway through the movie, so it's probably not him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then there's the sketchy dominatrix woman, uh, which would be too obvious. Like, that seems like right. it's setting it up to be her, and then obviously it's not going to be. So there's really only one option, which is the sheriff, Mark Lucas. So you spend the entire back half of the movie waiting for Cage to catch up to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a mystery that isn't really a mystery at all. If it was if it was like a bigger ensemble cast where you're trying to figure out if it's more of a whodunit, uh, then maybe yeah. I could get behind what this movie's trying to do, but it's just, it's just not. It's just kind of waiting for Cage to figure out that uh, Riley is the guy who... <laughs> <laughs> who did these, the murders who did the murders yeah uh which i mean you said that um they didn't really solve the mystery at the end i'm pretty sure like i guess they don't outright say it was riley but like by the end it's pretty clear that oh yeah and i keep calling him riley because that's what, what his name was on buffy but uh his name in the movie is like howard or something i'm gonna call him riley uh, <laughs> i 100 i watched this yesterday and i 100 percent like accepted the fact that his name was riley in the movie because you keep saying it <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't like outright say that Riley was the killer of these girls, but I think it like heavily implies it by the end. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is a pretty well-directed movie, and uh, I think Tim Hunter gives it a pretty great sense of atmosphere. I mentioned that, um, you know, he um, used to work on a lot of TV shows, one of which he directed one episode of Breaking Bad, so it's not like he was a huge presence on that show. But when I was watching it, and this might just be because I've been re-watching a lot of Breaking Bad in preparation for the new Breaking Bad movie, El Camino, mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. There's a, there's a couple of moments in the movie where I was like, huh, this seems like Breaking Bad to me. Where like especially there's the one shot where Cage is like by the pool and like, the camera kind of has a low angle looking up at him, and there's <laughs> and I was like, this like I, I feel like I've seen this. <laughs> This is the Gilligan shot. This is the Gilligan shot right here. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Tim Hunter gives it a pretty good sense of atmosphere. I think those quieter moments in the first half are really good. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I wonder if this movie might have been stronger if it had just been, like, a domestic drama with Cage and Tunney dealing with the loss of their daughter uh, and whether or not they were at fault. We're trying to figure out, like, where to place the blame on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of my notes I wrote down was, like, the, the lighting of this is actually pretty incredible. Like, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that sort of... I hate now. I kind of hate to use the term Lynchian now, but like uh, it's overdone, but it is applicable. I think here, yeah, yeah. Specifically, the lighting, uh, like the use of I don't know how to say that, like the distinction between different shades of light. Where like right. you know, Cage is on one side of a wall, and he's in like deep, deep blue, and we look through the mirror, and they're like yellow or whatever. Like you know, there's like all these weird lighting things going on. Yeah, which I thought was really cool, and the use of that in in room ten was really interesting. Like that room specifically, where like that room is always this deep blue. So yeah, it looked really cool. It had like neat direction. I just think the story or writing wasn't quite there. But yeah, yeah, I was kind of like you said, in- intriguing and boring in equal t- turns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, uh, what did you think of Nicolas Cage in the lead role as Ray? Uh, I think he's doing a really good job for the most part. Um, I was kind of invested because in, he's kind of just playing this everyman, like handyman guy that wants to start over. So he right. buys this motel and, and like gets dumped into this mystery uh, or you know whatever's going on here. And uh, the way he kind of, like, starts to spiral as he gets more and more involved and stuff, um, I thought that was really convincing. There's just, like, certain scenes uh, where I just started recently watching Barry uh, on HBO. And there's a couple scenes where, like, it's the big, like, blowout fights, like, particularly the scene when um, Cage and Tunney are, like, arguing about adoption. Right. uh, Where I was like, this feels like the acting class scenes in Barry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's not great. <laughs> um, right. But uh, overall, like, for the most part, it's, he's doing pretty good. Uh, I, I, you know, I was pretty much intrigued and, and engaged with his character. But every now and then, it's just like, oh, this is, like, acting class level <laughs> stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he, he's good in the movie. And I think he, uh, he actually brings a really, like, quiet sadness to the role. Um, yeah. That I think would be further explored later on in Mandy, um, a, few, a few movies down the line, too. Which, oh, yeah. Uh, which I think there's a little bit of connection there. So I think partially because he has a beard in this movie, and he has a beard in Mandy. Uh, <laughs> That's fair, yeah. <laughs> like, I think, I, I'm not sure what, what his beard status is over the course of the next few movies before Mandy, but I wouldn't be surprised if, like, he had grown a beard from Mandy, and he was like, I'm having a beard in all these movies from <laughs> up until there's this nothing point. Nothing say about it. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I, I will say I'm not. I, I liked Robin Tunney in the movie, and I liked Nicolas Cage like, individually. I'm not sure they're that great together in the movie. Um, they often seemed out of sync with each other. But that said, that also reflects the current status of their relationship throughout the film. So, like, maybe that's Whoa. intentional. <laughs> uh, it's probably not, but you never know, right? But you could apply that, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what, what about uh, the? How do you how do you think this fits into the roles that we've seen Nicolas Cage play in the movies, Mike? Uh, well, it's an interesting twist uh, to be have Cage be a grieving father. I think that's new. Uh, I, you know what? I, I mentioned, I actually wrote down Cage dealing with the death of his child. I could, I could list off three movies that uh, he... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess part of Pay the Ghost, he's... Uh, well, yeah, that, that wasn't one of the movies. Part of Pay the Ghost, you're right. <laughs> Uh, what's it? I must have totally forgot what, what movie is. Well, I can tell about? you, Mike, that despite starring in Rage, he is still just Nicolas Cage. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, Rage, of course, being one of them. Uh, Drive Angry, the death of his daughter, and he's trying to save his granddaughter. And also, now for something completely different, uh, Astro Boy. Um, he... <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. So... How did you remember Astro Boy? <laughs> Astro Boy was pretty good, Mike. <laughs> it was, you're right. Uh, but yeah, those three movies, uh, Cage kind of dealing with the death of his child. Uh, I, I will say, I think this is like the youngest child that Cage has had to deal with the death of in movies. Oh, yeah. Outside of, outside of maybe Pay the Ghost, but that kid wasn't really dead. He was just trapped in like an alternate dimension. Uh, yeah. You know, as you do. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so there is, I think there is that factor to it. But uh, honestly, the movie I was most reminded of here, Mike, was uh, Red Rock West. Yes. Which we had not talked about in a long time, but uh, man, that was a good movie. That was. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly had a talk. I was sitting there thinking, and and I can't remember. Maybe you'll help me now. Yeah. Uh, there's one scene. It's either in Red Rock West or Wild at Heart, where they like are at a trailer park, like hanging out with the locals. Okay. Yeah, that sounds. I think that was Red Rock West. I think so. Yeah, I can't really remember. Yeah, um, it's, it's been like three or four years since we watched either of those movies for this podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's either one of those. <laughs> those yeah. Those movies were like. That scene, specific, like, but just that scene and nothing else around it in the movie, which is why I can't remember which movie it's in, right. uh, came to mind a lot when it's just like Cage, like when he goes across the street to the like the gas station, whatever, and there's like these weird towny guys hanging out in the garage yeah. and always talking to him. Uh, like, man, this feels like that weird kind of sinister towny shit that was in that one scene when they go when right. they're in the trailer park. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with that. I think uh, in this 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 comes the closest to catching the atmosphere of Red Rock West, which is like you know yeah. it's kind of cool neo noir thriller. I would say this is probably in the same vein, but just not nearly as good as Red Rock West is. <laughs> <laughs> I really like. I was thinking about that movie again recently. And I was like, man, I should rewatch that. It's really good. Um, yeah. So yeah, Red Rock West I think is the one that I was most reminded of. Um, but it does often feel like it's cripping from directors that Cage has worked with in the past, specifically David Lynch with Wild at Heart. Uh, also yeah. a little bit of Brian De Palma with Snake Eyes too. I think there's a little bit of that uh, element in the movie as well. But yeah, any other uh, any moments or scenes throughout uh, Looking Glass that uh, stood out to you, Mike? Um, I mean, just kind of the scenes whenever Cage is watching in the mirror, just because they're so striking and feel like they're in another movie. Yeah, because uh, so much of the other stuff, which uh, so much of the other scenes in the movie are just like you know family drama stuff or whatever but this just kind of slows down and takes this weird voyeur point of view and we're just right. gonna sit here and watch this creepy shit we shouldn't be watching yeah. <laughs> uh and i feel like in those scenes cage's like reactions like when we cut back to cage and we see what he looks like uh, they're really intense and like fit whatever like that kind of spiraling grieving father going down this dark path yeah um, would be like and that was really cool i don't know yeah you know it's very weird that this movie was about nicholas cage discovering like a secret mirror that um looks through one of the rooms in his hotel uh and it came out in 2018 because there was another movie in 2018 about a hotel that had secret like one-way mirrors uh, or two-way mirrors <laughs> i guess uh and that was bad times at the el royale which came out a few months after this movie actually so looking glass got there first uh so <laughs> they ripped off looking glass they ripped off looking glass exactly and looking glass apparently ripped off real life but still uh <laughs> so it, that that was like, the first thing i thought of when um like the mirror was revealed because i didn't like I, I knew nothing about this movie going in i did not watch the trailer i just knew the movie was called looking glass and as soon as he walked in and saw like the two-way mirror i was like oh it's a looking glass i get it it's a looking glass um but like the it's first inconceivable inconceivable <laughs> It is inconceivable. Uh, but the first thing I thought of was Bad Times of the El Royale. I was like, whoa, this is just like Bad Times of the El Royale, but it's just a few months before the movie came out. It's kind of weird. But yeah, I, I will say my favorite scene in the movie is arguably the most insane, which is the Did You Do It scene. Um, oh, yes. Where it's just yes. <laughs> Mark Lucas kind of... Dist- like, it starts off with like Mark Lucas, Riley, um, mm-hmm. 
describing like what happened to the girl um, in the in the pool. Like the, it, a few months before Cage uh, had gotten the hotel, uh, this girl was like killed in in the pool, and nobody really knew what, what happened. Some people thought it was suicide and that kind of thing. Uh, but Riley was like, "Ooh, I think I think foul play was involved in that kind of thing," which it turns out he was the one who did it. So there's that. Um, <laughs> but but so there's the scene where he's talking to Cage, and uh, he reveals to him that like this girl died like the day after that you came over to the hotel to check it out for the first time. And so he's asking Cage, like, hey, did you do it? And Cage's like, what? And he's like, did you do it? Like, what? Did you do it? What? Did you do it? What? Did you do this? And, it's just, yeah. and it goes on for like a full minute where he's just going, hey, did you do it? And it's like, well, did I do what? Did you do it? Did I do what? Did you do it? Did I do, did I do what? Uh, it's, it's incredible. And it's, it's probably my favorite scene in the movie because it goes on for so long and it's so stupid. Um, and it, it really reminded me of, of um, did you ever see They Came Together with Paul Rudd named Polar? Did I make you watch that at some point? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay, because there's the one scene in that movie where um, Paul Rudd sits down at a bar and he's and he's like, uh, and the bartender's like, "Hey, you had a rough day," and he's like, "Yeah, tell me about it." He's uh, like, "Well, you sat in here. You didn't say very much. You could say that again." Well, he he sat down here. You didn't say very much. You could say that again, and that goes on for like a full minute. Um, but that's meant as a joke. It's meant for like a comedy thing. And this is like this is potentially supposed to be like really intense and like threatening. Yeah. But and just, Cage like starts to cry and right. stuff, and, and but it's just Riley he, saying, "Did you do it?" over and over again, uh, yeah. a, after like a relatively innocuous conversation between the two of them. <laughs> and then it just ends with Riley going, ah, "I know you didn't do it." Right? And, like he turns and looks out the window. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, so that was my favorite scene in the movie. That's the one that really stood out to me. Uh, also, wanted to mention the uh, the scene where Cage and Robin Tunney um, discover the uh, the dead pig in the pool. Which I'm not sure if they ever like. I guess it must have been Riley who threw that pig in the pool, but like they never actually like addressed that. Like after after the pig is like done with, um, no. they never say like, "Hey, who threw the pig in the pool?" Like it wasn't like a townsperson prank or something. Um, yeah, and then that that's sort of where like I thought the movie was gonna turn into like this slasher thing, right? Because Cage Cage and Tony like go out to uh, like the casino or whatever. Which is this another Las Vegas movie? Um, I don't really remember. <laughs> uh, no, California is where this takes place. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, I missed that part. Uh, and then, so like you know, and then there's a scene like a flashback or whatever, or like we cut to the back of the motel where, you know, someone in a black hoodie and, and leather gloves like chokes out this girl, and right. like it's kind of like that slasher thing, you know. Uh, and then they come home and there's blood on the doorknobs and stuff, and then they find the pig in the pool, and I was like, oh man, this is gonna turn into this weird like slasher horror movie thing. Yeah. Uh, and then it just doesn't, and they never come back to that, and never they never bring it up. For some reason, Cage decides to bring the pig into the desert and burn it. Um, right, and then he keeps explaining that decision to people as if it's a normal thing to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very weird. Yeah, very odd. But uh, that was a uh, you know just the imagery of the dead pig in the pool was definitely uh, it, st- it stood out for sure. Uh, yeah. I also, I also, I actually really like the way the movie um very gradually reveals what happened to Nicolas Cage's daughter. Um, yeah. Like they don't give you the full story until the very end of the, like near the end of the movie. Um, but like the movie starts with this flashback, and you see like the daughter, and you see you know Cage, and you see like uh, uh, sirens going on, and you kind of just get like, quick glimpses. Uh, and then later on, like during like their argument, um, Cage and Robin Tunney's argument, they say something like, you know, you were with her, and she's like, well, why are you at the neighbor's house, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually, Riley like the, pulls up the um, the newspaper clipping of like what happened, and you actually get to get the full story of how. Cage was off having sex with the neighbor lady. Uh, Robin Tunney was home, but she was high and she was like wasn't paying attention. And the daughter fell out the window and she died and all that stuff. It's a shitty version of Antichrist. <laughs> Mike, Which, all, uh, all movies are just a shitty version of Antichrist. Come on, now. chaos reigns. You're right. <laughs> uh, but I, Thanks for coming to our Lars von Trier episode. <laughs> 
But I, I do think the way it gradually reveals that information is actually pretty solid. Uh, the way it does yeah. that. Um, yeah. I also too. I really did like the scene um, at the end when when Cage and Ben, the former uh, owner of the motel, like finally meet. Right. Like out in the desert, or whatever. I don't. Know, that just felt like that would have been Harry Dean Stanton in. <laughs> Like in the Lynch movie, yes, uh, the Lynch version of this, and because he's playing weird as hell, and he's like got the Geiger counter or whatever he's doing, right? And then he just gets like blown away out of nowhere. Yeah, that was pretty great. He uh, he meets up with Ben, and Ben kind of explains the whole mirror thing. And it seems like if any if any character is supposed to be like the actual guy, Gerald Foos, that's probably the guy, Ben. Um, yeah, because he describes it. and He describes it like a social. It was a social experiment, which is what Gerald Foos said was he he was doing. Um, oh God. that kind of thing uh, so Ben like kind of doesn't really tell him what's going on but he like is just trying to explain the mirror and then suddenly he gets shot and then they kind of forget about him he's, he's, yeah. he's not well, I just like this they spend the whole movie like searching for him and Cage is trying to call him and right. and, and uh, the sheriff is trying to get his number and all this stuff and yeah. then he just gets shot out of funny. <laughs> yeah well they spend like so much time trying to call him and then one day he just finally answers and that's kind of it there's no like no yeah there's no progression there's no like discovering of a new number for him it's just like oh yeah hey hey what's up <laughs> Maybe in the desert, I guess. Yeah, so then he gets shot and he's done with. But yeah, also I, I wanted to give a shout out to Tommy, the uh, the truck guy played by Ernie Lively, because uh, he's my favorite character in the movie. He was great. Um, he was. He has the best line. I hope he, you wrote it down. Oh, I wrote it. Uh, I've got to do my duty to my wiener. Is that the best That's line? That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah cause he's like this um, truck driver guy who comes to the motel so he can uh, cheat on his wife and. He's there, and he always wants room 10, which is the room with the weird mirror in it, but he doesn't know that. Um, and, you know, Cage... Do you think having... he doesn't know that? Uh, yeah, he, it seems like he doesn't know that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, maybe. It doesn't seem like... I think they just prefer room 10 because it's a nice room. I don't think they... Uh, <laughs> like, the dominatrix lady, I don't think, knows about the mirror, does she? I, I kind of took it as that they all knew, like, those people that always requested room 10 knew that that was the room with the mirror in it. Okay, yeah, it's possible. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, anyway, there's, like, the scene where Cage... I think it's right after the dead pig scene, actually. And, like, yeah, it is. Yeah, Cage is, like, you know, distraught, and he doesn't know what's going on, and he's, like, having this, like, weird emotional breakdown, and Tommy comes in, and he's trying to comfort him for a bit, and he's like, well, if you need anything, but, you know, I gotta do my duty to my wiener, and he... <laughs> <laughs> he takes the room key and walks out. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, yeah, so that was, obvi- like, obviously the best line in the movie. Like, hands down, just so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I also wanted to give a shout out to the scene where um, Riley, Mark Lucas, is like kind of following Cage while he's cleaning the rooms, um, mm-hmm. and there's a praying mantis on the on the mirror, and he like smashes it with the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I I don't know why that happened, but I thought it was very funny. <laughs> it feels like just to set up the uh, the like make a joke out of at the very end when he says like because he smashes the the praying mantis and he's like that could have gone better because uh, it like explodes into goo or whatever yes. and then at the end after Cage shoots him he says like oh that could have gone better <laughs> just like really oh, just to pay yeah. off that line <laughs> we went through all that that's good yeah I had forgotten about that actually so thank you for pointing that out <laughs> yeah that's what happens when you watch the movie the day before we record <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great that's pretty great uh, also, did, did did Cage have a sex dream about the cleaning lady in the movie? Was that a thing that happened? Hundred percent. Okay, yeah, that's... <laughs> that happened. <laughs> just a very weird interlude that's like never brought up again. Um, yeah, which is very odd. And again, that kind of stuff could happen in like a David Lynch movie that like explores more dreamlike qualities. But like this isn't that. You know, it's <laughs> it's. I think it's definitely trying to be a little right. bit. But uh, it thinks it is. It thinks it is. Uh, but as of that, the way it happens, like he just has a sex dream about the cleaning lady. And then I think after that they have a scene. They have a scene together where like um, he gets the snake out of the bathtub. Snake hands came back. 
<laughs> that Nicholas Cage always dealing with snakes. Uh, yep. Uh, but then, like the him, the cleaning lady had like no real scene after that whole yeah dream sequence. It's very weird. There's a lot of stuff too, like just the weird looking towny guys at a gas station. I was like, somebody watched Twin Peaks: The Return. Uh, <laughs> Like episode eight was it or whatever that has that long extended sequence? Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a weird movie. It's it's because it's, again, it's so close to being good. I think there's like enough here that's interesting where it's like, hmm, there's some, something here could be happening, and then by the end, nothing really happens. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, it, it had to go like completely one way or the other, like either like a whodunit mystery kind of thing, right, or just like this weird character study about the people at this motel without the like mystery at the center of it yes uh what did you think of the climax of the movie like when they fight in the hotel room yeah so for some background basically what happens in the climax is that you know after ben gets shot cage like cage sees a car driving off rushes back Mm. to the hotel sees riley's police car there and he kind of puts two and two together like oh shit riley's the guy he's the one um he goes in and he sees like all this stuff like this signs of a struggle there's a big fight there uh, and it turns out Riley has kidnapped Cage's wife, Robin Tunney, and he, they're in room 10, and he's, like, waiting for Cage to show up so that he can kill Cage. So, K, so Cage goes into room 10, and or he goes into the, the back mirror area of room 10, um, and I, I think that's why it's clear that, like, nobody else knows about the mirror. You know, the sheriff probably would have known about it, right, if that was the case. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's standing there in the mirror, and he's waiting for Cage to come through the front door, uh, and then Cage starts making, like, a tapping sound at the mirror, and then the sheriff kind of looks up, and so it's like, what the fuck is that? And it starts to, like, go and investigate. And Cage jumps through the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really that awesome. style. <laughs> yeah. It's, he jumps through the mirror and tackles uh, Riley. And they get into a big fight. And then uh, Cage kills Riley. Uh, yeah. So what did you, you think of that whole sequence of events? Um, I thought it was kind of interesting, like, the uh, like the, the lead up to that, like, before Cage jumps through the mirror. Because yeah. it's kind of that, like, what is he going to do? Because, so, like, up until now, he's been this kind of, like, incompetent, like, you know, bumbling his way through the... Not, like, in a jokey way, but just, like, bumbling his way through this mystery and not really sure what's going on. Yeah. And doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would dive through a mirror to fight off this person, <laughs> uh, this murderer. Yeah. Uh, and then he does it, and it was kind of cool. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it was kind of just, like, okay, fine. Like, I don't know, at that point in the movie, I was kind of, like, not uh, invested, I guess. Okay. Um, so I was kind of just like, yeah, sure, we got to wrap up the loose end of who did what and, and this guy that knows everything and stuff. Right. But yeah, I don't know. And then they just get in their car and drive away into the landscape with, with like techno music or, or not techno, like electro music <laughs> over it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed that sequence just because I enjoy watching Nicolas Cage jump out of a mirror. I was Fair. I was a little confused at like how much power it would take to get through the mirror uh, because yeah. there's not there's not that much space behind the like that mirror where he's standing. It's like this very kind of small crawl space area. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would imagine... Like, you need, like, a running start. <laughs> to dive through a mirror? <laughs> to dive through a mirror. Like, I, I've never done it, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I would imagine it would take more than, like, Cage just standing there and going, like, boom! Like, <laughs> you know? Nobody um, knows the explosive power of Nick Cage, though. This, this is true. This is very true. I think it's the beard. He harnessed it all in the beard. Yeah. Just, Maybe it's to... the glasses. It's one of the few movies he has glasses in. It, That's true. Sure. Yeah. I, I actually can't think of any other movies that he has glasses in. I'm sure there's some. Um, yeah. But I, I'm blanking on what they would be right now. But yeah, but I enjoyed that just because I enjoyed watching Nicolas Cage jump through a mirror and uh, defeat mm-hmm. Riley. And uh, then I, I really liked um, the very end of the movie when Tommy shows up and has like the punchline at the end of the movie. He was like, hey, is room 10 available? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it was like covered in blood. And, like Yes, uh, that was pretty great. Uh, also, also, how ridiculous were the opening credits of this movie? I just wanted to say, 
that, where it's just like, just a red, normal font, just kind of like zooming in. <laughs> like it looks, yeah. it looks like this very like, almost like 70s exploitation um, font, which yeah. I appreciate. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, cause it's just so unassuming, but, uh, I don't know. Just, it, it looked very cheap, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I a hundred percent had that feeling too. It was like, this feels like these kind of movies, like an exploitation movie in the seventies or something. Yeah. And there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a sleazy quality to it, especially the way you watch Tickle's cage, watching people have sex in room 10 yeah. and that kind of thing. Uh, and again, those sequences are like very, like, I think they are filmed differently than the rest of the movie. They just have this like very quiet, like attitude about them. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I thought was really it was really interesting. Um, uh, the stuff at the Dominatrix Lady was actually uh, pretty good, and then Cage gets into a bar fight and all that stuff happens. But yeah, it's <laughs> bizarre. Pulls a gun. That was so weird. Yeah, well, it was weird because they like early on in the movie, Cage opens up his glove compartment and it like lingers on a gun that's in the glove compartment, and you're like, oh man, that gun's gonna come back in some way. Shot uh, off his gun. Yeah, and then he just kind of uses it in the bar fight, but he doesn't actually shoot anybody. He just kind of hits somebody with it, and that's yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> Well, that's it. he kills Tommy with it, or not Tommy. Uh, no, Tommy's uh, the good guy. Uh, Riley. He kills Riley, but he not kills Riley. Howard. Yeah, whatever I, his name. Okay, didn't he? Uh, I, I thought Riley had his own gun that Cage had uh, taken. I think he was using Cage's gun to frame him. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But yeah. uh, I do, I do want to point out too. Uh, a little bit earlier than the climax scene, uh, Cage like confesses to to Tony, and like shows her the mirror, and like shows her the tunnel and stuff, and like explains what's been going on. Yeah. Uh, and there's this moment where, like, she's like, we gotta, I don't remember if they say something, but, like, it's the, it's implied that Cage is, like, sealing this off for good, and, like, they're gonna move past this, and it's just him, like, nailing a curtain over the hole. <laughs> it's like, that, <laughs> it's not, you could, like, you could just walk past that. Like, like, right. <laughs> like, if it was him bricking it up, like, then it would have been powerful, or, like, you know, right. <laughs> but it's just him, like temporarily covering it well we needed we needed a way for cage to get back into that thing for the climax i know (laughs) i know it's just so weird but it's played like powerfully like right you know like it's him moving past this part of his life and they're gonna start to heal yeah Uh, it's just him putting a curtain over it (laughs) you're right no you're right uh all right so any any other thoughts about looking glass mike before we start wrapping this thing up before we move on to letterbox reviews i guess um, not really. I just want to reiterate too that the best line of the movie is "I gotta go do the my duty to my wiener," <laughs> and I wish I could say the movie was worth it for that. Yeah, alone, but it's not quite. But there is some potentially interesting stuff happening. Yeah, it's it's definitely not the worst movie we've talked about on this podcast by far. No. Um, but it's very much not the best either. It's very much right down the middle. Uh, yeah. Probably a little below the middle, honestly, but like it still it does its thing. It does its thing. It does some like VOD cage thrills. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you, if you like that kind of thing, which if you are listening to this podcast, my guess is you probably do, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, that's definitely something to, uh, to keep an eye out for. Looking Glass came out in 2018, uh, and it's available on VOD and stuff right now. Uh, all right, let's move on to Letterboxd Reviews, Mike. Yes. Okay, let's do it. Let's see what the people have to say. Uh, here's a Letterboxd Review that has no star rating, but uh, goes like this. At one point, Nick Cage reaches into his jacket's pocket, pulls out a dollar bill, and uses it to wipe his glasses clean. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. I can't believe we didn't mention that. Uh, when Plex told Nay warned me that this movie had an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> I knew it was for me. <laughs> the cheaper, uglier, lazier a movie is, the more inclined I am to like it. This is the cheapest, ugliest, laziest, while still having actors with a modicum of brand recognition. It ticks all my boxes. This is everything I love done very badly in the best way. Voyeurism, messy relationships, dead girls, dead pigs, actors chewing the most scenery. God, I love cheap melodrama and histrionics. That guy from Buffy, uh, light BDSM, 
<laughs> this this reminds me of a largely sexless erotic thriller, and my mind drifted towards The Canyons, which is not a movie I enjoyed in the slightest, but they have the same residue of intellectual bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know. When I was a very small, young kid, I ran into another kid head first, and I don't think anything's been right since. <laughs> no, I shouldn't blame my enjoyment of this on brain damage. I just like bad things. <laughs> Which I think is a pretty fair assessment of Looking Glass, honestly. <laughs> uh, here's a four-star review of Looking Glass on Letterboxd, Mike. A rare pleasure to go into a movie knowing absolutely nothing about it. I didn't even know what genre this was in. Turns out, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is all the genres totally weird creeper motel mystery and horror and thriller and romance and drama and comedy and action etc that is always fun to watch and with a cast that is definitely enjoying themselves who knew mark lucas had it in him to upstage cage obviously cage is letting him uh one of his most underrated talents as an actor is giving space for other actors to shine uh, it maybe lacked focus and forgot to answer some questions who the fuck threw the pig in the pool uh but, but i found it to be very worth watching now, here is a five-star review of Looking Glass oh, on Letterboxd, Mike. <laughs> uh, I'm really torn about this movie. On the one hand, it feels like David Lynch wanted to make a movie but forgot how. <laughs> on, the other, on the other hand, this is a movie where Nicolas Cage uses a dollar bill to clean his glasses. <laughs> uh, no one on here likes this movie very much, and I get it. I'm fully in the bag for Cage. If you're like me, here are five reasons you should watch this movie. One, the aforementioned eyeglass cleaning scene. <laughs> Two, Cage's series of bizarre decisions as the world's worst motel proprietor. Three, a frequent patron calls a particular motel room a peach. Uh, four, Robin Tunney's character is amazingly, wildly inconsistent. And five, someone smashes a praying mantis with a Bible. <laughs> as a general rule, if I can be the first person on here to give a Cage movie five stars, I'm going to do exactly that, then figure out the reasoning later. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, at least he's honest, right? Uh, on the flip side, here's a one-star review of Looking Glass, which reads, Damn you, Nicolas Cage, for starring in these shit blizzards, <laughs> knowing damn well I'm going to have to watch them. This has some of the worst dialogue and consequently worst acting I've seen in a long time. A guy literally says, I've got to go do my duty for my wiener. <laughs> with a straight face, come on, man. You give me a Joe or a mom and dad and then slap me with ten of these burnt biscuits. At least they're still Mandy. <laughs> All right, I got one more here. It's another one-star review. Nicholas Cage is worse than Denny from The Room because he also likes to just watch. Holy shit. <laughs> Please tell me that's the entire review. That is the entire review, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which stood out to me because I just went to go see a, a live script reading of The Room with Drake Sestero. So I was like, hey, The Room, there it is. Hey, I love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that is Looking Glass. Mike, any final thoughts on the movie before we uh, wrap this up? No, not really. We kind of hit on everything. It's kind of middle of the road to a little bit less than middle of the road. Uh, yeah. But it has potential for interesting stuff. Uh, if you're if you're you know a caged completionist like we are, uh, I guess go ahead. But otherwise, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. A caged completionist like we have to be for this podcast. Uh, no, it's by choice. <laughs> yeah. I swear. <laughs> yeah, we're not locked into a ten-year contract or anything like that. No. Uh, not at all. all right. Yeah. Looking glass. There's enough potentially interesting stuff here to maybe be worth a watch, but definitely not uh, something we wholeheartedly recommend i think yeah uh all right mike where can we find you online this week you can find me at md film blog on twitter and you can find me uh md film blog on letterboxd 
And you can find me online at msmithfilmblog on Twitter and Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd. Uh, thank you for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decree Show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at MikeAndMikeGoToTheMovies at gmail.com. And you can find the rest of our podcast over at Rapture Press alongside the Review Zoo and Badass Biz Bitches. Uh, our next episode of The Complete Works, we'll see Nicolas Cage in a VOD sci-fi thriller called The Humanity Bureau. Uh, oh man so yeah that's all you need to hear right <laughs> uh, yeah we're very close to Mandy man we just gotta make it over there uh, <laughs> plus keep an eye out for the next Mike and Mike go to the movies which we'll see us heading to space with Brad Pitt for James Gray's new film Ad Astra it is a it's a good year for Brad Pitt movies it seems like uh, yeah. between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Ad Astra and I mean it's probably just like every year is probably a good year to be Brad Pitt in general right. uh, just like yeah as a human, he's As probably a human. doing pretty good. But he's got a couple of good movies out this year, so that's pretty good for him. Uh, all right, thanks so much for listening, guys, and thanks for getting in the cage. <laughs>